0: Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. So what? Uh, what's your take on how the season started? With the, I mean, we'll get into obviously the pitch clock yeah. and stuff. But well, why uh, don't we get
1: into it? Because I mean, yeah. those are, those are the big questions. We know that the, yeah. the NC. Welcome to Bleacher Blums podcast. I'm Jeff Blum, my good friend David Tuttle. We've got Mark Ramos on the uh, on on the producer side of it. And uh, every time I say, welcome to Bleacher Blum's, that is, he, he evaporates into thin air. That's but, right. But uh, he doesn't have to do Two that. Two turntables
0: and a microphone. He's like yeah. he whoosh, got behind it. the scenes. There he is. He got
1: <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it was a big week in sports. And uh, so the final four finished up. We will get to that probably towards the end of the podcast because we know why everybody tunes in to Tuttle and I is because of the baseball banter. And this is the first week of baseball, and I think it is something we need to talk about because I've yeah. got some stats that I'm going to throw at you. Ooh, Not I'm your typical stats, but they have they have relevance in the sense of what we are all watching baseball for. What the hell's this clock doing? What are the bases <laughs> doing? What does it mean about the shift? So there's some numbers that will actually give you an idea of how those things are working but Tuttle how how have you been watching a lot of baseball I know the Giants cranked what seven home runs the other day or something like that they've been bombing away which I know is going to make our astrophysicist guest Dr. Meredith Wills, pretty excited she probably wants to get her hands on some baseballs and start tearing those apart but what's the first week of baseball been like for you man have you been watching
0: I have, yeah. It's been great. Um, I was just going to kind of do the little tee-off. So we, we do have the Masters, which I think has changed. That comes up on Thursday. That's changed this year because of the Live Golf Tour. I really feel like there's a mm-hmm. dynamic there that's changed the whole feel around it. Uh, obviously, the, the NCA tournament, they showed Kelvin Sampson in the, in the stands last night, which I, that's probably not where he wanted to be. And then back to your question about baseball, and I know that's why everybody tunes in. So I've been watching. Um, I think it's great because... Um, we've been talking about the rules and the rule changes, and you know how it's going to affect the game. But it is good to get back to uh, you know big league baseball. Uh, Judge obviously had a couple home runs in the first series against the Giants. Otani and Trout seem to be smashing the ball pretty well. I don't know if we need to get into the Rendon incident. That's been a pretty big um, topic here in Southern California. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's great because you have all these expectations from baseball and the teams with the payroll, like the Dodgers, I mean, they just started out on fire. I mean, but they're playing the diamondbacks and you're kind of like, all right, what does that mean? Um, you know, the giants impressed me a little bit against the Yankees. I think they ended up with a split or, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, at least decent. And then I forgot you were, we had done the Yankees podcast or the, the, you know, the Bronx Pinstripers podcast last week. But uh, I forgot about the um I forgot about the White Sox in town. So that's usually a big thing for you having the White Sox and the Astros in town, your two teams splitting. Mm-hmm. Their opening series. So uh definitely watched a little bit of baseball. It's interesting to see how it starts out. But baseball, more than any other sport, I know when we get cranked up about the first week of the NFL, it's like, oh, my God, you know, Aaron Rodgers lost 35 to three. And, you know, he's going to be done forever. And all of a sudden, they're 13 and four and they're in the playoffs. And you're like, OK, <laughs> baseball is so different. Right. I mean, the oh Phillies got gosh. swept, I think. They start out 0 and three and everyone's like, but the, the world doesn't cave in, you know? Then they go three and three. And I mean, it's just one of those weird things, unless we're talking about the Reds from last year when they were like <laughs> three and twenty-seven. So, so yeah. So that kind of, I mean, I hope that's the the synopsis you were looking for. I I'm, I'm curious to know your thoughts when you are a team like the Phillies and your payroll's high and you're expected to compete with the Mets and you mm-hmm. sign Trey Turner and you get all this stuff going and you start out 0 and three. What does that feel like in the clubhouse? And if you're in you know, if you're an old old pro you're like who cares right like we're gonna yeah. get this thing going no, that's
1: exactly right no a big nothing burger to start the season for the Philadelphia Phillies and you know what's interesting too is a lot of these high payroll teams you know like you said the Giants play the Yankees tough the uh the Mets are three and two three and three like you said they're playing right around 500 ball out of the first week San Diego Padres are in the same boat and then you get the Philadelphia Phillies who really just kind of took a dump in Texas going oh and four the Astros split with uh, the Chicago White Sox. Who the White Sox are actually pretty good now that I've seen their lineup in person. It is very good. They've got decent enough starting pitching, but their bullpen is terrible. Liam Hendricks out. I think he's battling cancer. Uh, uh, Crochet is a big left-hander that hasn't come out, uh, come off the IL yet. He's a big piece, but they need they need some bullpen help. Uh, but you know, it, it's so easy for media i mean media is always looking for storylines so you it's easy to panic and create panic as a writer or yeah. a a pontificator to go out there and say oh my gosh this isn't the team we thought they were going to be but you know as well as i do by the time july rolls around things start to like separate themselves and you'll see good teams playing well and they'll have the record to prove it but in the first week, the, you know, we got to see a banner drop in Houston. I've got my ring. It's fantastic, and I completely blew it and left it in the safe downstairs so I don't have it to show on our YouTube channel. I've got to be better at this. Um, but uh, it was awesome. It, w- it was a lot of fun, you know, and I think it was kind of interesting to watch a team like the Astros are like, yay, we won. We know. We're good. Okay, we got the rings. They're like, okay, can we start playing baseball now? <laughs> because, you know, the, the – the ceremonies 30 minutes before game time really disrupt a lot of the routine. And I think the Astros actually like getting into the grind, much like you and I, we actually enjoy the grind, I would say. You know, I you gotta be a bit of a I think a sadist. You know, you gotta enjoy the pain a little bit to be a ball player. Yep. And that involves failing a lot before you succeed it involves doing something repetitively for day in day out and have that routine and we're kind of in that. I don't know how you felt when you played these seasons even in the minor leagues you were playing 140 some odd games you know once that first series kind of gets out of the way as a ball player and even in the broadcast booth for me I'm like boom we're into the grind let's go.
0: Yeah, no you settle in. I absolutely and I hope it's like that for most people <laughs> and we we always talk about relating, you know, but what that takes we did. the
1: panic off it doesn't it a little bit?
0: Oh, absolutely. But yeah. that's because baseball is such a grind comparatively and I, I've always made the analogy of that towards real life, you know, now raising kids and everything. And I'm always surprised mm. when I work with people who they want everything to stay the same. And I realize <laughs> that's kind of what we're talking about, but the 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 key to keeping your routine the same is everything's different every day and it teaches you to be comfortable or, you know, calm um, you know have some calm within the storm I guess and I think yeah, that's the that's point. the reason baseball players have a routine it's not as much a superstition the reason we have a routine is so that we can kind of make, I don't know, normalcy out of the craziness that is, you know, I went over four yesterday and today I went three for four with two home runs and everybody wants to talk to me. <laughs> you got to keep that really flat, right? Because, yep. you know, because it's going to be different every, every year. So, um, or every day I should say. And the pitching part was great because I remember being a starter for a while and you kind of got into routine there. And then I was in the bullpen for a couple of years. And I really liked the bullpen because you would show up to the yard, you know, run for an hour, do your stretching. Do everything you need to do. Uh, get a little th- long toss in or throw, and you just got really settled into a routine. And you didn't, to your point, the chaos of the game didn't really matter because you knew you re- you were prepared. So I think that's the kind of the message that you're talking about. These guys, yeah, you know whether the Phillies start out zero and four or four and zero. Hopefully they don't get too high or too low, and we know what their payroll and their and their. Um, The roster they're going to be in the mix at the end it is uh interesting you brought up the white Sox bullpen already because in a situation like that it is like having guys on the il i think liam hendricks is definitely going to be back at some point you know not going when you've set up your payroll and you set up your roster the way you want to um and then not having some pieces involved that you counted on as mm-hmm. you said, maybe you were more impressed with the White Sox than you thought because it, you know if they get those other pieces mm-hmm. back, they're going to be a, a force to be reckoned with. So it's interesting at the beginning of the year. Um, and maybe the good transition here will be to the rule changes in terms of what we're seeing. Everybody's in the flow. We like seeing big league baseball. But with the rule changes, what what did you see? I know last time you mentioned your color and your commentary has gotten yeah. different because the the speed of the game too. So how does how, how has that transition been for you?
1: I I don't know how it is for the fans, but I feel better. The regular season, I really felt like the regular season was gonna bring or or try to encourage a little more normalcy. And that's kind of where I find myself in the first five, six games that we've been able to cover is that I've got a little more of my routine back and I'm not as panicked and I'm not as rushed. I have a little bit better understanding of the pace and I'm being able to adjust. So that's kind of your, that's kind of what what Tuttle is talking about is you know, when you are in the chaos of, of certain things, the ability to have that routine and adjust is what makes you a better ball player. It makes you a better person, uh, not being scared of it and trying to understand it. But at the same time, one of my big things is being prepared. So I feel like I'm a little more prepared going into these games in the regular season. Uh, Rosters are set. I'm familiar with some of the guys. I know the storylines and therefore I can get in and get out of some of my segments a little bit better uh, as opposed to spring training, where I felt like everything was just coming at me out of a fire hose. And I was like, "Wait, what?" you know, I couldn't, get, I couldn't get the words out in time. And it might have been a little bit self-imposed because that clock is so jarring to see it on the field and counting down and realizing, you know, the finality of having to throw a pitch or an inning starting or whatever it is. But since the since the games have started the clock, it, I am aware of the clock. There's two very large clocks in center field, and there's two very large clocks behind home plate for both hitters and pitchers. Uh, I know it's there, but I'm not fearful of it. The pitchers have done a very good job of handling it. Uh, The one thing that I've actually noticed more frequently and paid more attention to is the step-offs and the disengagements, because now it's one more element where I've got to kind of stay involved and and see and recognize because it affects what might happen in that at-bat. And I've actually seen the numbers kind of jump as far as uh, as far as stolen bases are concerned. And I don't know how in depth you want to get. I'll, I'm going to ask you what how you feel watching these games on TV. Has the clock or any of these rules really affected the way you watch a game, or is it? And another thing is, has it affected the quality of the game you're watching?
0: You know, I think we said this before. I'm more curious about the playoff aspect because of the you know the heightened intensity or the high leverage innings. But I do mm-hmm. think. I do like the strategy and I think, you know, just like we always say, not that we have a crystal ball, but we played long enough to know that that was going to definitely affect the game, the step-offs, the timing of the yeah. stolen bases and we thought that steals would go up. And I think um, you know, we talked about Anthony Rizzo last time, an intelligent ball player, you know, that's typically like 12 for 13 in stolen bases, something like that. He we might see him, you know, 17 for 18 or 18 for 20 this year because you know, he'll pick his spots, but also now with the step-offs and the throwovers, you can actually time your yeah. um time that you know, time when you're gonna go. So I do, I do see that being a new um kind of wrinkle in the game. And to your point, watching the clock and figuring it out, it's just another thing you have to be aware of. It's not something you've ever had to count before. And you're like, oh my God, did he step off twice or three times? Yeah. And now he has to go to the plate. And you know, so and I'm sure to your point about getting into the flow that that'll just come with the season. It'll just be another thing that that just is automatic, I guess, as opposed to something you actually have to consciously pay attention to at this point. But I definitely think it's going to change the game and has changed the game early on in the first week. But guys will you know adjust, and I think you brought up catchers. Good catchers are going to be a commodity this year in terms yeah. of calling a game, but also throwing behind runners and keeping guys on, um, on task. And, uh, yeah, so I, I do I do see that becoming um, kind of a new focus in baseball, and it'll be interesting to see after the first month or the first two months what that really looks like as we have a bigger set of numbers to aggregate.
1: No, and I, I've actually got some numbers to back up exactly what you're saying about some of these catchers because there are going to be more stolen bases. So through through 49 games in 2022, there were 29 stolen bases, and 43 attempts that's a stolen base rate of 67.4 percent through 50 games in 2023 70 stolen bases in 84 attempts that is a stolen base rate of 83.3 yeah. percent so that is to Tuttle's point is that that you are encouraging base runners to run, but you better damn well have that catcher that can throw some guys out. And that's going to be the big question mark, is if these guys can't throw anybody out and that reputation starts to build throughout the course of the season, because you know as well as I do, Tuttle, 50 games uh, over all of baseball, is not that's a small, small sample size. And that might actually go up because more teams get exposed for not having that catcher or the pitcher who's able to keep that runner at bay.
0: Yeah, you know that Gary Sanchez is of the world. Like it's like automatic oh. DH now. No, I'm just saying they he's going to be a DH like, or they're going to try right. <laughs> he's going to have to play left field or DH and that's Ooh. it. I mean, it's just it's just not going to, you know, the Maldonado's, the Real Mudos, we talked about that last time as well. Yeah. Those guys are going to be such a commodity and I do think it's interesting when you start putting the dichotomy of we're playing faster games. We're getting them done in two and a half hours, unless you play an eleven inning like long game last <laughs> night, like you, like you guys did. But, but essentially, you're getting these games down to two and a half, 245. But your stolen base you're percentage right. is much higher, and you have these guys running around. It reminds me of when my daughter played softball and they first implemented like stealing. So every girl mm-hmm. would get up there, even yeah. girls that couldn't hit, and try and walk, and then steal second and steal third. I, so I, I true. mean. I'm not diminishing big league baseball to that, but it's funny how you would think if stolen bases are up and guys are on the base paths and more things are happening that the game is going to be longer. But I do think it's an interesting element when you're actually speeding the game game up, but you have these guys running around the bases. So it it's going to be interesting, um, I think, as we start looking deeper into it. Um, and as you pointed out, we've only, you know, 50 games was your number, but 100 games in, 150 games to see... Um, you know, how it plays out. But I do think it's interesting mm-hmm. that uh, the games are actually faster, but there are more guys running around the bases <laughs> freely. Yeah, there's, but, it, but that's the
1: whole idea, too, is to create more action. And the stolen base is one of those more attractive things that that fans like to see because there's an element of risk involved in that. But you're eliminating some of the risk with the clock, the step-offs, and the bigger base, so you're encouraging the running. And that's one thing that analytics hated, before was the stolen base. It was like the sacrifice bunt Why am I going to risk giving you this out when I know I can hit a two-run home run, but if you get thrown out stealing, it turns it into a solo home run. So I do like the the strategy of having those guys being able to steal and run themselves into scoring position. To Tuttle's point, you kind of nailed it. I don't know if you saw the numbers, but you were, you were borderline spot on because the game times in 2022 through 42 games, three hours and eight minutes, and a legit 30 minutes have been knocked off those games to two hours and 38 minutes in 2023. Granted, I I called a game the other day it went 11 innings. The final game time on that was three hours and 21 minutes. So you played two more innings and played almost an hour more. But you had the Manfred man. There's a lot of things going on in those extra innings, <laughs> Manfred man. But that's not bad. I can handle I can handle the extra innings for maybe an extra 45 minutes. It's not too bad. What if I told you that without the shift, that batting average is up 15 points across
0: the league? Not surprising, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what we expect because we've seen guys, the same spot swingers of the world and guys that are, you know, either pull hitters or spray hitters. I mean, the spray hitters have always had a higher average because they hit the ball where it's pitched and, you know, they can hit behind runners, things like that. And, the shift would take those away. So you would stack an extra guy, of course, in the spot where you tend to hit the ball. You would think that you would have a lower batting average with the shift. So I do think it's not too surprising of a statistic. I do go back to your time thing, which is great. A three-hour and 21-minute 11-inning game is Mm -hmm. still probably accomplishing... um, what major league baseball wants, which is a faster game time overall, even if you go extra innings, you know, it's better than a four hour and 21 minute game time. So, and now that you're on the media side, a pontificator, as you like to say, it's (laughs) got to be more appealing for you guys as you hone your skills, you and TK and Julia kind of speeding up the broadcast and, you know, moving through it. As long as you're getting real baseball, as we said before, we just didn't want it to affect the game in a in a way that you weren't getting to see these guys perform at their highest level. So I think so far so good, believe it or not, but that's what we expected. No. And so, you know, the playoffs to be determined. We got a long way to go before that. So
1: Yeah, but that's one thing we both talked about. Once you set that 26-man roster and started to play big league baseball, not the yeah. spring training th- the spring training game, you're going to see better baseball in a better amount of time and I think that you're right. If you had to judge it on the first 50 games overall in Major League Baseball, I think it has worked out pretty well. Yeah. But I just wanted to uh, the shift, well,
0: c- you know. Yeah, give me, yeah, give me a, your impressions of the shift. That's what I was going to say. So I would see, I would say that the average being up is expected. But what what have you seen in terms of pitching and hitting, and actually the style? Like, I, 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 I mean, love this. This is a
1: yeah. great question because that was one of the first things. That I started to notice in spring training was more guys were going up the middle of the field. And my first thought when you talked about taking away the shift is uh, you go back to uh, the art of hitting when Ted Williams was in that book, writing that book, The Art of Hitting. And he talked about, sh- you know, when guys would play shifts against him, he said, well, you know what? You know how I'm going to beat the shift? I'm going to hit it over their heads. And I think that really became the mentality. In the last five or six years is you know what i'm not going to adjust my swing and get base hits i'm just going to try and drop and drive hit it over their heads take the extra base hits take the home runs and i'm going to leave i don't care about my batting average or strikeouts my idea when this shift was eliminated is it's going to shift the way you think about hitting instead of trying to hit it over guys I'm going to get to a two-strike count, and I may shorten up a little bit and try and punch it through the infield, and we've seen more of that. So I think that that ball-in-play number is going to go up, which will make batting averages go up. I think guys – maybe hopefully it cuts down on strikeouts because they'll be able to put the ball in play. Kyle Tucker – Jordan Alvarez have already benefited from it. They've had a couple of rollovers on change-ups. There's a guy being held on at first base. There's only a second baseman on the right side. I can only imagine what it looks like in their mind to see so much open area and have them fundamentally get more sound and hit line drives up the middle. So hopefully that changes that game a little bit. I don't know if you've seen it. Joey Gallo is hitting 300. Granted, wow. 14, 15 at bats, but he's, he's hitting a little bit better. You know who's not? Cody Bellinger, he's hitting 067. He hasn't figured out the contact part yet. Once he makes contact, he may be able to take advantage of that. So contact is being encouraged by the shift, which I love to see.
0: I love that you have Gallo and Bellinger stats. You know what's interesting about all this is we've crushed analytics um, quite a bit. Uh, Not crushed it. I mean, we know analytics is a huge part of the game, but we've said that you can't use that solely uh, to build your ball club and make – you know, make decisions. I would say that the idea that these crazy rule changes are actually speeding up the game and actually making, you know, so the stolen base rate is way up to 80%. It's up about 20%, right? A, a 66 mm-hmm. to 84%. So you're up 20% in terms of stolen base success. You have higher batting averages, more base runners, and the game time is, you know, approximately 45 minutes faster. I, I mean, I think they're accomplishing at least initially what they wanted to accomplish. And I hope the fans can appreciate it as well because the diehards like us might want to see uh, you know, some some more mental games involved or the mm-hmm. game within the game. But it sounds I'll like, like so strategy far the of it. Yeah. No, I and I and so far it seems like it's working. I will say I don't understand. This is the Bellinger comment, how you can go from winning the MVP to be a guy who can't hit the baseball. So I maybe he wasn't before, and maybe it was just the lineup that he was in with the Dodgers with all those fantastic players. But gosh, that that's a that's oh. a kind of a and that that's was before he
1: was MVP before the Astros got busted for sign stealing. I'm just saying.
0: Oh, got you. Thank you. Well, there you go. No, I mean I wanted an answer, that's just, that's and, and, just and I'm the not ordinary Astro fan. Answer right there. Yeah, well, <laughs> eh, there might be some truth to it, right? Because no other team is cheating. And sometimes there's the uh, the squeak uh, the squeaky wheel gets the grease or whatever they say. The mm-hmm. squeaky wheel gets the grease. Next it's kind of like
1: batting average has gone down year after year too. So. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's like why why would you be screaming so loud at getting you know these cheaters Mm -hmm. out of the game right the
1: look at them don't look at us
0: look at them yeah that's right (laughs) there you go hey i like it all right yeah everybody Uh, was benefiting from the same uh from the same uh sources i guess so yes anyway that's that's probably a good time to transition i did want to ask you about the tournament you didn't go to the game because you were running concurrently but the basketball game last night was actually pretty good and it was interesting how None of, you know. Obviously, none of the number one seeds, two seeds in there. UConn was kind of the favorite as soon as the Elite Eight uh, was narrowed down. But we talk about parity in most sports, but seeing like a Florida Atlantic and a San Diego State, which is the third most winning basketball program um, in the last few years behind Houston, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, Houston's in the top three as well. What uh, what did you? I mean, I guess obviously you didn't get to watch the game last night, but what what do you think about the parity with the NCAA tournament? And I think it's been happening over the past few years in general, um, but the transfer portal and all that. Just you know, a quick thought on the the basketball tournament. Oh, man,
1: I think that this whole this whole transfer portal thing may have gotten exposed with with uh, the parity that we've seen in basketball. And what what the hell happened with the seating? That's what I want to know. Like the seeding of all of these teams just seems it was grossly out of whack. Uh, you know, these number w- – what, what was it? The first Final Four that we didn't see a one, two, th- or three seed in it. You know, a number four seed ends up winning this whole thing playing against – what was San Diego State? A nine seed?
0: A uh, five. five. Florida seeds. Atlantic so, I mean, was a nine. San Diego okay, State was go. a five. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I mean, at least you had a four-five, so they were a little bit more evenly matched, which makes sense in the end. But at the same time, when you're getting these number one seeds whacked in the first round by, uh, you know, Purdue exiting, Arkansas, a number eight seed beating Kansas, a number one seed, before getting absolutely boat-raced by UConn, and that's when UConn kind of jumped onto my radar. I was like, Good lord, it looks it it legit, and especially the way San Diego State played too, because. I watched. I watched the SEC quite a bit, so I was big on the Alabama uh, players. Uh, Miller, their freshman, was phenomenal. I thought he was a beast, but he was still kind of wiry and raw. San Diego State and UConn for me—they actually, when you watch, when you had a chance to sit there and watch them play, those were men. And I, what I mean by men is physically, they were their stature was wider, thicker, uh, better built. Uh, They weren't afraid of contact. They were getting down low and just moving people around. Uh, UConn was the same way because I really saw that with the rebounding against the Arkansas team. I was like, good Lord, they're just pushing people out of the way and taking things from them. And then it's also the mentality. They adjust. I felt like those teams adjusted to the adversity a little bit better and executed their game plans. But for UConn to go through this tournament – and be a number four seed and beat teams by 20 plus points and then make the national championship game a blowout and not that much not not it wasn't much fun to watch to be honest with you because it was such a blowout but you know it kind of took the edge off things a little bit and took away some of that intensity that being said that San Diego State game in the final four that was badass i mean yeah. that is exactly what march madness is all about for me is that one shot to put yep. your team into that next round, if not win the whole thing. And San Diego State got that with Florida Atlantic. That was awesome. That was my moment from uh, the, the March Madness because UConn was just too good.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think I've said it on this podcast where Houston is men, Baylor has a bunch of grown men. Uh, we didn't watch a lot of the Big East this year. I mean, UConn is obviously a storied program, but they haven't been um, kind of lauded in a while. But they had men... FAU, they have all their guys coming back, Florida Atlantic. I mean, these guys are experienced. And, you know, they always get that one guy that like, oh, yeah, this guy played at Wake Forest for three years. And, you know, he was the defensive player of the year in the ACC. <laughs> and yeah, now he's it's coming it's over to like year a – in the
1: league. You're like, yeah, like, right.
0: <laughs> so you have to – I mean, if you're going to start seeding these things and really betting on them or paying attention next year in your bracket. So I actually got second in my bracket um uh, and i had none of the final 4 teams we got paid out before the final 4 started he paid everybody out cuz oh, nobody dang. else could make any games so everybody like 50 people in our bracket all got you know, paid out before the, the final the, 4 started
1: the the, the the elite 8 you're already paying out
0: that's right he paid out because <laughs> because nobody else could get any more points cuz nobody had any teams left so that's crazy. i d- yeah i do think it's interesting and we talk about the transfer portal a bunch with football i think more often but the parity is real Charles Barkley made a better point, though. The parity is real right now, but once these teams with the NIL money and once these teams figure out which guys are going to move and the transfer portal stays open, there's going to be about 20 basketball programs that have all the guys, and you're not going to have, right? So it's going to change from having a lot of parity. It's going to being start like,
1: funneling a little bit, and it's going to separate itself. You're right. Exactly. I
0: completely agree. Yeah, and so he's saying in five years it's going to kind of ruin the college game because you're going to have the same 20 teams in every year if you get these good coaches. So I do like college basketball at this time of year. You mentioned that it might not have been as thrilling as normal because you didn't have your Kansas, your Duke, your North Carolinas in, but it was really fun to watch the San Diego State and Florida Atlantic. And my my key takeaway is, I love watching these coaches. We're going to see the Florida atlanta coach. He may not leave this year, oh, but man. in the he next two years, he's going to be coaching. Contract. Like, yeah, he's going to be coaching Kentucky when John Calipari retires. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I brought this up last time, but you have um, all these coaches moving around, and I think uh, it's a good thing for them. It's a great opportunity. It's something that they've you know wanted to do. And so, if you can take the little engine that could to the Final Four, then what could you do with the top recruits in the country? So that's pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, the uh, between the portal and the nil money, you are basically watching collegiate free agency in every sport, whether it be basketball, baseball, uh, football. The, the The stories that I'm hearing about this portal is you can court somebody, and uh, you know, pun intended, I guess, in in basketball, <laughs> but uh, you better have some money waiting. They can't talk numbers when you're talking about bringing a guy in, but you know as well as I do. It's like saying tampering doesn't exist in baseball or basketball. I mean, give me a freaking break. Money is being talked about, and that's why the yep. kid is choosing the school. And now you can just blatantly say, we've got booster money coming out of our backside at a rapid rate. If you want to get in on this, we'll bring you in and give you some of it. So that portal is going to be very interesting over the next couple of years. I agree with Charles in the sense that the bigger your booster club or the bigger the economy of the city you're in, might, might provide a better chance to bring some better players in.
0: Yeah, and and then the guys that get phased out or pushed out by those guys coming in, they go somewhere else. So it's so going to be thing, a lot of it,
1: that. There yeah. might be some residual effect on some pretty good players going to other schools, but not being the 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 mega teams like we see in the NBA and now what we're trying to see in in baseball.
0: Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see in the next few years. But uh, that's it for the NCAA tournament. Blummer, I have to get to you. We used to do a little golf special with Mr. Adams, but uh, mm. I do feel like golf has changed a lot. And I know you visited the Masters tournament uh, a couple of years consecutively, and it's one of the best tournaments. And, you know, just listening to Jim Nance say, Hello, friends, and uh, welcome to this tradition, unlike any other, the Masters like on that's CBS. Our, that's our that's our with go-to. It's piano a, playing in the uh, background. Oh, it's it's so great. But they're trying to make it contentious. And I read an article about Fred Couples Mm -hmm. making some comments, obviously, about Sergio Garcia and Phil Mickelson and just interesting. And I really liked actually what Fred Couples said. He said, (laughs) you know, I love those guys as golfers. I just think they're being buffoons in terms of their commentary (laughs) around the money. So, you know, I respect them. I I care about them. I just think that they're not making uh, sound statements. But Neither here nor there. I do feel like as a true fan, a distant fan, somebody who doesn't watch golf terribly regularly, and I need to play it more, um, that with the Live Tour and the PGA Tour having kind of the dissension or the uh, tension that they have, this Masters seems a little bit kind of like us versus them. It doesn't seem like, hey, here are all the favorites. It's kind of like, here's the favorite from the Live Tour, and he's going to play in the Masters, and here's the favorite from this tour, like DeChambeau and you know the 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 rest of the guys um you know jt and uh rory and guys like that so what do you think is i mean ultimately the winner is going to be the winner and they're going to be lauded it's one of the best golf tournaments in the on the planet but what do you think with the tension and do you see that affecting kind of the outcome or affecting how the tournament plays out this year
1: yeah, I think you need to start with this being the first major of the year. We know that the players down in Florida was just played, but at the same time, it, that's not technically a major. The Masters is the first major of the season, and if you go to the history of the Masters, it, it's you, you can give it all the negative connotations you want with it being elitist, and the but the prestige the pomp and circumstance around it, the idea that you can't bring your cell phone out there. You know, there's so many there's so many contributing factors to the masters. And the reason that they call it the masters because when you win it, you are the master of golf. There's a limited playing field that gets into this. And since the live tour has come into existence, it's really been that separation of of money grabbers as opposed to the traditionalists that play play, play to earn money as opposed to just getting paid and going out there and kind of being a skit with their shorts on and things like that, you know, and I've watched, I've tried to watch a little bit more or kind of look at the live tour a little bit more. And I've just realized that, you know, the tournament attendance they're getting is nowhere near what, I believe is nowhere near what the PGA has been able to do in some of these tournaments. PGA has been able to create still a great atmosphere. You're always going to get great athletes, great golfers. You just may not know their names, but you're watching a very good product in what the PGA is putting out there. Now you're matching up the money, the high money, high, the high exposure guys, the guys that are really notable, some marquee names, Dustin Johnson, Phil Mickelson, Sergio Garcia. And now you're putting them up against Rory McIlroy, Jason Day, some of these guys, the Spies, the Justin Thomas. So you're kind of, it's the traditionalists against, you know, this new wave of golf. And I love the fact that they're playing it at the Masters because there's so much respect around this tournament and the crowds are going to be insane. And there is that narrative of the bad guys against the good guys playing on the purest course in America. There's been adjustments to the, to the tournament itself with the the holes and some of the setups. So it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out, but I love it. I love the intensity nice. of this. And I want to see golfers play, not just with the intensity of the tournament, but with some of that anger and that, 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 uh, vitriol feeling for somebody. I have we ever seen that? You know, I mean, there was Tiger yeah. Phil back in the day, but they didn't hate each other. Yeah. Now I feel like there's some guys that hate each other.
0: No, it's a great point. Black hats and white hats. Let's go. Who's wearing yeah, the black go. hat? Who's Shirts wearing and the white hat? Just Wait, put on. no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shirts no, but I, but I do. I, I actually really like your take on that, which is. The fact that you know, pitchers and hitters, regardless of how many times you face the guys, very often there's tension. And even if you know the guy or you have some respect for the guy, it depends on the heightened situation. You're not, mm-hmm. you want to beat the guy just like your brother in the backyard. It doesn't really matter <laughs> yeah. how much you love the guy or how many, you know, how many times you've broken bread with him. You want to kick his ass in that moment. And I do think golf doesn't have that. And this provides a scenario like you said big tournament but also the tension that's there that maybe hey i'm i'm gonna force with a guy from the pga tour that i don't really like and i don't like the comments that he made about me so not only do i want to you know play well out here today but i want to kick his ass and i think that that's going to be um you know it's going to add a, certainly an element to the tournament this year and i'm looking it's forward per- to watching d- it
1: feels it. personal doesn't it
0: it does, yeah. No, that's it does. something
1: I don't see. We we don't see too often. I mean, there there's going to be matchups, but it, this really feels personal. Kind of, I hope that it kind of takes on that Ryder Cup feel, where guys are fist pumping and they're pointing to the crowd and bye ah, you know, because that, that right. atmosphere at the Masters could be really exciting if they, if they actually do have that kind of rivalry.
0: Yeah, and I do think as kind of prestigious as the, uh, Augusta is and quiet, but we've seen waste management. Mm-hmm. We've seen a lot of things kind of creep there their way go. in, you know, that those crowds are going to be louder and we've had a couple years of COVID and kind of limited attendance. I know in 2020, but I think, um, certainly last year it broke out, but this year uh, just even more, they're probably going to go to full capacity and we've seen the waste management and there's tension and there's all kinds of things. I do think it's like, um, when you have pitchers going against each other, like, uh, you know, uh, like a Garrett Cole versus Verlander, you know, in the Battle of the Subway series or something like that. Yeah, you the can pitchers, feel that. you can feel it, but the pitchers don't actually play against each other. And I always mm-hmm. think that that's kind of what golf has been, right? So it's, yeah, it's Tiger versus Phil, but I just think it supports your point that you know, Tiger was four, you know, four holes ahead or four holes behind and they weren't really head to head playing against each other. Yeah, They're both, both playing the course in the
1: background. You're like, oh, is that is that Tiger sinking a putt? I got to go. You know? It's yeah,
0: like, that's hey. right. So that was kind of like, eh, maybe I got to go. But now
1: face. Right. Uh, but combat.
0: now it's hey, Verlander versus Aaron Judge is a whole different deal with the game on the line. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that just makes your point, which is. Now there's going to be some more actual tension. These guys are actually going against each other, maybe within the same foursome, and certainly within the same, you know, a day in the course. So I do think, uh, I do think it's gonna it's gonna provide for an awesome tournament, and it'll be great to see kind of how this golf season shapes up now that the Live yeah. Tour and the PGA Tour are kind of established.
1: I agree, and don't don't uh, discount the fact that you're going to have some rowdy fans with five dollar beers. <laughs> there some you go. Cheap cheap concessions, man, yeah. and some intensity could add to some all kinds of different yeah. fireworks. <laughs> pimento cheese
0: and 5 dollar beers, right? Yeah, or exactly. Or pimento Get something. that
1: foundation down, dude.
0: Yeah, that's right. All right, I do have one more question for you and then we could probably roll on our way. I just wanted to ask you um I was listening to somebody. I love your word of the day, pontificate. Listening to somebody talk about, you know, LeBron James or Tiger Woods or Michael Jordan about something and um maybe there was about the new movie air coming out, but I wanted to ask you why those guys don't do the typical circuit. Like why they don't do this, you know, super bowl, like uh, media row at the super bowl, like Jerry Rice does it now. Right. Or, you know, the goats do Mm -hmm. it uh, as they go. Tom Brady will probably do it moving forward. But how come like a Tom Brady or Tiger Woods or a LeBron, they never go on like the Dan Patrick show or the bleacher blums podcast. Like, why wouldn't they come on and just talk about stuff? Yeah. I, I want, I was, yeah. Oh, I don't know is the answer. I thought you'd have some great answer as to why. Like,
1: think about that. No, you're you're right though. I mean, is it is it arrogance? You know, like I'm too good for that show. I don't need to go on there. Or is it fear because Dan Patrick's probably going to try and put you on the spot? Yeah. You know, or is it I don't want my name associated with that? It could be a a, a number of different or why aren't they paying me? They should pay me. If they want me to come on, they gotta pay me. You know, it's like I've heard that one before. I actually heard that about a podcast. It was like some dude got blackballed because he he was like nobody, (laughs) had a decent following on Twitter, but the guy asked him to be on a podcast and he sent out a tweet saying, I'm not going on anybody's podcast unless they pay me. Do you know how many paid podcasts I've done in my life? (laughs) None.
0: Zero. <laughs> yeah we don't even I, get paid to do this
1: one. <laughs> I was gonna say we barely get we get nickel and dimed on this thing. It's like, dude, yeah. you know, I'm not do you don't do podcasts for money you moron. No. Yeah, but uh funny. maybe it's time. I, I I don't know what
0: but I mean think you about have any like thoughts
1: on that? Because I mean why, that's this this yeah. day and a is all branding. So if you get your name out there more frequently, because that's why I do as much as I can, is because I gotta I feel like I need to stay relevant. Right,
0: but I mean, th- I'm trying to think of the bigger guys you played with. So we both know Trevor Hoffman, but I mean, obviously, I think you were in the locker room with Tony Gwynn at times. Like, what I mean, who I've been around him? Yeah, yeah, but those guys, I mean, they would go on a radio show. I'm pretty sure. But the- I'm just trying oh, to think of who would have been.
1: Yeah, those guys would be everywhere, man. They weren't yeah. turning down anything.
0: There weren't podcasts though back then. I'm just well, I'm trying, trying to think to of think. one of the you know what? biggest it's- guys that wouldn't do it. Like, yeah, who was but like- to your
1: point. You know, uh 2017, the Super Bowl was in Houston, and I actually got to work Radio Row for uh mm-hmm. that streaming uh radio mm-hmm. tune in. So oh, yeah. I was actually hosting a three-hour show on Radio Row, and uh that that year, I'm trying to think of somebody other than football that we had on that show. Okay. Um, we had I had Kyle Schwarber was on with me. I had him for about 30 minutes, I had AJ Hinch mm-hmm. for about 30 minutes. You know, so you did have people outside that realm, and I remember doing the All Star Game when it was in San Diego for Tune In, and I mean, we had Marshall, we had like, you know, Marshall Falk was on there. Uh, right. We had some of these other guys that were on there, so there were football guys making the rounds. But you're right; those current superstars, you just don't see them. You'll see them in the stands, maybe watching the game, but they aren't going mm-hmm. around, you know, making themselves available at all.
0: Yeah, I just wonder if it's like a secret club that we don't know about. They do the secret handshake. Like anyway, I I just I I just put it out there so maybe um, you know our listeners can get us at real David Tuttle at Blummer twenty seven on Instagram and Twitter and just let us know if they have some thoughts around it. And like you said, I mean, if it's arrogance or money or whatever, I have no idea. I typically think it's just probably time and energy, right? Because if they go on someone's show, then they have to go on everybody's show, and they there is a level you get to, right? Where. Mm I mean, you know, you make a living doing this typically and you're a celebrity in Houston. But, you know, I mean, it's a a whole different deal, right? I mean, it's a whole different deal when you get to, I think somebody was making a comment, like if Ronaldo does a tweet, you know, it goes to Mm. 2 million followers, you know, and he can get paid whatever, $100,000 or $500,000 a tweet, something like that. So I think it just ends up being, um, you know, There's, you only have so much, so much time and energy in a day. And it probably is just a demand on their time. But I, I don't know. I was thinking about it. Like, I haven't heard LeBron James on an interview in a while. And I just thought it'd be interesting to, you know, figure out what's, what's going on in there. So, no, I think you're good. That was good. I'm good. That's all I got for the day. I mean, I don't know. Do you got anything?
1: No. I mean, there was Uh, just all the taunting and, uh, Rendon. uh, I mean, there were some real controversies uh, out there. I don't know if we need to touch on it or we can touch on it later, but, uh,
0: no, we can – I mean, the taunting thing was interesting because they're, they're everyone's saying it's a double standard. I think, uh, you know, Caitlin Clark handled that pretty well in terms of saying, oh, I don't – I wasn't paying attention. We just – Well, the, I didn't
1: think it was that big a deal. I was like – I didn't either. She did it to another team. She yeah. had it done to her. And, I mean, that's yeah. usually how sports go. And try and yeah. just put yourself in the – try try and remember what it was like being 18 to 21 and imagine yeah. being that age and being the best. Yeah. And this day and age where there's a camera everywhere, you're gonna talk a little shit. Come on, man, yeah. dude. I talked yeah, plenty of shit in college. I was like, dude, fuck, you know, f this guy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. I, you know? Right. so I was like, I was like, why are we making this like a huge? We're making it yeah. way bigger than I thought it needed to be.
0: Yeah. Well, this goes back to the social media aspect, really. I mean, mm-hmm. we we said things and did things. I've told you stories about some of my tension in college with the. McCarty. I didn't like McCarty. Sorry, David. No, Stanford. You're still, ugh. Anyway, Stanford. but uh, but we would just talk face-to-face right there on the field, but nobody was like filming it or, you know, like, hey, mm-hmm. you know, we got a camera right in your face saying, hey, this is what's going to yeah. happen. Um, as it relates to taunting and being able to handle it, where do we see this with uh, – there was a thing in a uh, couple weeks ago about a soccer fan – And a player getting into it in terms of a swipe or whatever. And then obviously Rendon just got suspended for four games was supposed to be five and he was going to appeal. So they made it four. that's really interesting. But uh, what I mean, we do see fans crossing the line a little more than maybe in the past. Um, and maybe it is what we kind of already just talked about the taunting, the social media captures all this stuff, like things that people are saying, cause people have said terrible things to ballplayers and athletes for years and years. And you just kind of got to, you know, comes with the territory, but I just wanted to know your thoughts on, I mean... I didn't hear anything inside about what Rendon, he said he wasn't allowed to talk about it, but obviously we kind of saw the video. But what are your thoughts about that and where do you think it's going? Because that's something I think we definitely need to nip in the bud and we've talked about it before.
1: No, I think Major League Baseball needs to step in. These are situations and... You know, hopefully this was a, hopefully this was a milder incident than what could have been. Cause if he did get a hold of him and he did knock him out, or if there did start, you know, if you did start to see fists flying or somebody go in the stands, you know, the, the malice at the palace is one of those things yeah. that I think about, you know, with Ron Artest, but you know, you do need to stop these things. And I think security needs to be a little more aware, but I think this is the environment you've created be- via social media because you get keyboard warriors where there's no consequences when you send a tweet out. And now all, all of a sudden you're emboldened, you show up to a ballpark and you call a guy a bitch, which apparently is what the reports I'm hearing came from Rendon that, you know, that's why you grabbed the guy and you're going to get this physical altercation or, you know, th- something's going to happen. So, Baseball needs to nip that in the bud. Fans need to understand that you are yelling at a guy, a person, a player, whether it's female, male, whatever it is, you're yelling at a person and a person is going to react when provoked in a certain way. You don't know what kind of mood they're going to be in. So watch your ass because we're getting to that point where guys are getting sick of hearing it. And I think that's where Rendon got I don't know what set them off. If that was just it, or if something else was going on, but Major League Baseball needs to do a better job of having security because these fans, we want to have the interaction, but we don't want to have that kind of interaction.
0: Yeah, and I've—I mean, I—I I've, I knew a couple of buddies of mine that used to work at the Irvine, uh, the the Meadows over there concerts. Mm. That you've been there before. It's shut down now, but you know they would give them a yellow jacket and they would stand in front and they're like, "Yeah, I get to go yeah. to these concerts for free." And they would stand with their back facing. You know, and then they would give the yellow jacket to their buddy who could get into the you know VIP area. And I mean, you got to wonder these security guys too. You know, it's one thing if it's a police officer, but if it's just stadium security that grew up as a whatever an Oakland A's fan, and then mm-hmm. some guy and a couple Oakland A's fans are getting rowdy after a couple beers. I mean, is that really security, or is it just kind of you know, you know, the brotherhood of hey, we're all A's fans? And I do think there's yeah, it's there eye-wash. you go. It's eyewash, right? So, so then, then what do you do? Because I think, I mean, we have to hold ourselves accountable as athletes yes. um, and as human beings There's on a both sides standard. of
1: that. There's but a, maybe Rendon a gets standard.
0: his. I totally agree. And that's why you're getting paid to be on that side of the fence. But Rendon gets suspended for four games. If this guy's back in the stadium, I got to assume he's probably not going to be allowed into Major League Baseball stadiums again. And, you know, he's on the hope. list, you yeah. would hope. But gosh, if you see that guy at games, I mean, I, I agree. The keyboard warriors and the yelling and people wanting to be participatory. I remember when we were growing up, a guy, you know, streaker would run on the field at football games. And guess <laughs> what? The camera would do? It'd follow the streaker on the field. And I obviously they shut that down right these guys are getting no publicity anytime somebody gets on the field you know the camera goes away instantly and i do think that um you know not lauding people and not allowing people to have a platform to kind of get away with something like this could certainly help so it, it is unfortunate and we do know people are going to be yelling and you know, causing trouble, but, uh, I don't know. I I don't know if Rendon acted appropriately or not, but these are situations that I feel like are just probably, I don't know, going to be more, uh, going to occur more often than less. And I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but
1: it's definitely a possibility. I I hope it doesn't, but I've, you know, following the team that I follow and understanding how many teams and fan bases hate these guys, I know that the security is ramped up around the Houston Astros. And fortunately, these situations haven't come to a head. But at the same time, to your point, it is disappointing that Rendon got to that point and acted on it, as opposed to what I've seen the last two years with the Astros is, is I've seen some real hate and really awful language used at these guys. And they've been so professional about it. So, I mean, if you're looking for an example on how to handle it, The Astros have done a very good job because everywhere they go, whether it's at the hotels or on the buses, in the parking lots, on the field, they get it nonstop, and they've actually handled it extremely well. So hopefully that's a good example.
0: Yeah, that is. And that's impressive when you think about it. And you wonder why these guys isolate themselves or they don't feel like signing autographs yeah, all day long right. or they keep distance Such between their point. families and the fans mm-hmm. is, you know, it's the fans' fault, right? I mean, it's like, look, I don't yeah. want to be isolate, you know, I don't want to isolate myself, well, but I, I feel like I need to. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to put myself out there so that what, you know, that one person gets through the crack and, you know, it's typical in most things in the world, one bad apple spoils the bunch. So, mm-hmm. hopefully there're no bad apples on this podcast and uh it's not spoiled for anybody. So, that's I all I it got, Blummer. No, we're good. <laughs> We're good.
1: We saw that with the fan vote that we had on our Bleacher Blums Instagram. <laughs> there you go. That's right. But no, it's it's been a good podcast. It's been a fun podcast. Uh, keep your ears open because we may be coming at you a little bit later in the week, trying to make up for lost time. But uh, again, every podcast, we appreciate the military, both home and abroad, protecting us uh, and keeping us in the, in their their forefront of their thoughts and protecting us and sacrificing so much. All the veterans that have served, we appreciate you also first responders, police personnel, fire personnel, EMTs, everybody that uh, rushes into harm's way to protect us, all of the uh, first responders. I think I just mentioned them again and again, (laughs) but uh, all of the uh, essential workers, doctors, nurses, all the uh, teachers out there, the essential workers stocking shelves. Again, we appreciate everybody out there who's working extremely hard and letting us be a part of your day for a brief moment. We greatly appreciate
0: you. Yeah, and if you're over the age of 45, don't forget to get screened for colorectal cancer. And always on this podcast, we encourage our listeners to get after it and believe it. Believe it! Believe it! It's
1: a good thing this podcast isn't of length because we would have <laughs> to have poo, poo breaks. Nobody needs time for a poo break. Potty breaks.
0: <laughs> Pee potty poo. One of those.
1: Yeah, uh, potty humor's the best. Yes, it is.